What is the story of the formation of the church? We are 11 chapters into the historical account here in the book of Acts, and I wonder if we are far along enough to be able to answer. Uh, I wonder if we're far along enough to be able to determine what is the story of the formation of the church. Well, I believe that we are, and I believe it is this. I believe the story of the formation of the church, uh, as we've passed through these chapters, as we're going to go in the, in the, in the coming chapters, uh, I believe the story of the formation of the church is the story of the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe it's as simple as that. The account of the formation and the growth of the church that we are studying, it is the telling of how the gospel spread. It was here, and it bore fruit there, and then it was carried somewhere else by faithful people, and it bore fruit there. And then it went other places, again, uh, with the mouths of faithful people, and it bore fruit there. And I believe the story of the church is the story of the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, listen very carefully. Great things happen when the gospel is proclaimed. We ought to see that. We ought to know that. Great things happen when the gospel is proclaimed. Listen very carefully. That has to be our story today as well. That has to be our mission today. That, that has to be the DNA, the makeup of the church today. We exist to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let me ask you a question. Well, then what could keep that from happening? If great things happen when the gospel is proclaimed, if we should exist as believers, it should be in our DNA to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, what could keep that from happening? Now, I could give you a list, and maybe you could add to that list. Apathy could keep that from happening. We just do not care. Distraction could keep that from happening. You know, we've got so many things going and other priorities that are going to be ahead of it that we could be too distracted or a lack of purpose. Maybe we never knew that was why we existed as believers or as the church. Maybe it could be, especially in this day, a lack of the truth. We do not have the truth, possess the truth. We're not hearing the truth, and so we're not sharing the truth. One of the major ways that the gospel is hindered, that the gospel is kept from spreading is sadly disdain for other groups or hatred for another people. And, and Satan is in the middle of that. I can see that all over. Satan is in the midst of that. And he leads us to hate somebody so much that we would rather that they would perish than hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think you look around our world today and there's groups and we hate them so much We've got so much against that group, and it may be deservedly so, but we've got so much against that group, we would rather they would go and perish than to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially if it's going to depend on me to tell them. Well, that's going to be addressed in our verses today. Today, our message is entitled, Good News in Practice. Good News in in practice, we've moved to the 11th chapter. Today, we're in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Acts chapter 11, today, verses 1 through 18. Good news in practice. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word, 
God's word says this, beginning in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and we are thankful for you. We're thankful that you are great, that you are mighty. We're thankful that you are powerful. We're thankful that you hold all things in your hand, that they're sustained by you. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus. We're thankful for the peace, the hope that is sure and settled right now in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that it would be a supernatural event. I pray it would not be a normal time, but I pray that, Lord, you living and active, that you would speak through your word, living and active. And I pray that we would be shaped today, that we would be taught and trained as your people today. I pray if need be, we would be convicted today. And I pray that in the hearing of the word, that a powerful response would be the result. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you. We give all this to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, if you remember, in the 10th chapter, and we spent four weeks in that 10th chapter. I thought I could do it in one week. We ended up doing it in four weeks. But in that 10th chapter, God reveals a marvelous truth. Now, listen, I, I love the 10th chapter. I love all that, that happens and all that fits together there in the 10th chapter. But the main thing is God reveals 
a marvelous truth, and that is the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people. Now, I love that. Man, we need to get that. I want us to be sure of that. The gospel is for all people. We need to be certain the gospel is for all people. It is not for a select few. It is not for a certain group. God is not a bigot. The gospel is for all people. I was thinking about that this week. We ought to get shirts that say that. The gospel's for all people. When you go into a crowd, the gospel's for all people. If you're hurting, if you're in your sin, if you're looking for hope, listen, the gospel is for all people. Wow, that's great news. That's the message of the 10th chapter. That's the truth of the church. The gospel is for all people. Well, guess what? That sounds great in theory. That sounds kind and gracious in concept, but maybe that's a lot harder to put into practice. Maybe that's a, that's a lot harder. More Maybe that looks different when we actually walk it out in real life. Well, where the 10th chapter established the truth, the 11th chapter is now going to walk it out into practice. And so now we're going to see, not just this week, but next week as well, we're going to see that it's not just a great theological truth, it's not just a block of doctrine, but it is actually walked out by faithful people trusting in the God that revealed it. The gospel is for all people. What is revealed in the 10th chapter is going to be put into practice in the 11th chapter. Now I want to say this. As we start this 11th chapter, I am not a first century Jewish believer. I'm not. I'm not a Jew who was converted in the first century. I do not have that history. I do not have those teachings. I am not a first century Jewish convert to Christianity. You are not a first century convert to Christianity. You're not a Jewish believer. And so when we read this, sometimes we may miss the, miss the application. We may not be able to, to see it as they would have seen it. And so let me ask this as we begin. What group do you hold in disdain? What group, when you hear of that group, when you see that group, do you have a disgust that wells up in your stomach? Is there a group that does that for you? You, you can't stand that group. And oh, you have, a, you have these re reactions, these responses to that group. Here it is in, in 2020. Maybe it's the rioters that burn and steal. When you see them on TV, you can't understand what in the world they're doing. And maybe you have a, a burning disdain for that group. Maybe it's for those that are vocal in support of abortion. And they're not just for it, they celebrate it. And not just at any stage, but at all stages. And maybe when you, you see that group, you can't understand that group and you burn in disdain for that group. Maybe it's for a, for a Muslim person, a, a person that's a follower of Islam and ISIS and all the radical groups that go along with them. And maybe when you hear about them and you see the, the Christians lined up and they're being beheaded, maybe you have a, a great hatred and disdain for those people. Well, let me just tell you this. And I, I, I think we've forgotten this today. Do you know the best thing for all of those folks is Jesus? Jesus. 
See, I think we've forgotten that. Do you know the best thing for all, every group of those folks? Do you know the best thing is, is Jesus? The best thing that could happen is that they would hear of God's grace. They would hear of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. By faith, they would receive him, and they would be saved. That is the best thing that could happen to those people. The best thing is Jesus. I'm going to go ahead. I, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it. I watched the debate this week. Did y'all watch that thing? I don't know what you call it. I watched that debate. It doesn't take very long. And if you got any sense, you probably go watch something else. But something begins to rear up inside of you, doesn't it? I start to watch that, and I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about one party. I'm talking about every dadgum one of them. Something starts to flare up inside of you. And I'm sitting there watching that nonsense, and I start to remember something. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, what comes outside, out of a believer in Jesus Christ is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I didn't see it anywhere there. Did you? And I sit there, and I'm getting mad, and I'm getting madder, and, and I remember this. You know the best thing for every person there would be to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to walk in the fruit of what comes from being as a spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus is the answer for all people. Let me, let me say this, and I'll go back to the sermon. When are we going to get enough of it? that we become determined to tell them about Christ. You see, I can, I can take up a flag and I can take up this and I can take up a banner and I can get loud and I can post on Facebook and I can speak all these messages. When are you going to get enough belly of it, enough belly full of it, that you would say the answer as a believer is that they would have the answer that I have and it's Jesus and we would tell lost people about Jesus. That's the answer. That wasn't even in this sermon. So imagine your group, whatever your group is, imagine this group that you have disdain for as we move through this. We're not first century Jewish converts, but I want you to picture the group that you have disdain for as we move through these verses. This great truth revealed in chapter 10 is about to become practical in chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1, here we go, says this. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. All right, here we go, 11th chapter. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. This is a great verse. I like this verse. I like this transition. The news is spreading. The word is out. The Gentiles have received the word of God. Now, Peter hadn't made it up there yet, but before he makes it up there, the word is out. The good news is spreading. The Gentiles, they have received the word of God. Now, the word for received here in, in the Greek, in the original language, means took in. It means accepted. It means embraced. And so the word is spreading, and it's spreading very quickly that the Gentiles have embraced the word of God. They have accepted 
the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is the message of Jesus. It is the gospel of salvation by, in the Savior, the Messiah, Christ, by faith. It is the gospel of our salvation. That is the word of God. Now, I want you to understand this. That is why today we as the church focus on the word of God. That is why we defend the word of God. That is why we speak. That is why we impart. That is why we try and implant the word of God because it is the message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me say that again. This right here, this is the business of the church. This is the message of the church. This is the focus of the church. Listen, you can get everything else somewhere else, but this is what you get when you come into contact with the church. We are consumed with the word of God because it is the message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And so you know what they had received? They had taken in they had embraced the word of God. Now, the news had spread and made it back to all of Palestine and it made it back to Jerusalem that the Gentiles have embraced the word of God. Now, you know what the response should have been? The response should have been, praise the Lord. Those pagans, those folks out there outside of God, they have embraced what? The word of God? The, the response should have been, praise the Lord. What an awesome blessing. They have received the word of God. Praise the Lord. That's not the response. Verse two. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, he makes his way up there. Those who were circumcised, these Jewish converts, took issue with him. These are Jews who have placed their faith in Jesus. They had heard the gospel. They were the apostles and the brethren, what the Bible says. They had heard the gospel. They had accepted and believed the gospel, and they were saved by faith in Jesus. And so those folks took issue, this is what the Bible says, with Peter. Now, the Greek word, the original word for took issue means they began contending with Peter. Another translation means that they were separated from Peter. They, they drew a distinction from Peter. You know what? You've done something we do not agree with. And so they have made a distinction away from Peter. It also means, another translation, that in this contention, they have started a back and forth with Peter. They have taken issue with Peter. Basically, they have now set themselves in opposition to Peter. Now, it doesn't say that all of them did. There was a group, and we get this from, from, the, from the context of Scripture, that thought that Gentiles could not be saved, or if they could be saved, they'd have to do it by at least becoming a Jew first. And so, so this new Christian sect was, a, was an expression of Judaism, and so to be a Christian, you would have to take on the traditions of Judaism. These were the Judaizers that we see throughout the New Testament. They, they want the Gentiles to take on the, the practice of Judaism and then become a Christian through that. Well, these folks, the Bible says they are mad at Peter. They have become contentious with Peter. They are contending against Peter. Verse 3. Saying, 
you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. They took issue with him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, verse 3 is a very telling verse. Notice the problem here. Now, this is where we start to see how this works out. The problem was not that they preached the gospel, not that he preached the gospel. The problem was not that he told them about Christ. Notice the problem. The problem is he went to these Gentiles, and the Bible says, and ate with them. You know what, you can be concerned about them, that's all right. You know what, you can, you can pray for them, that's fine. You know what, you, you can even stand on a hill and preach the gospel to them, that's okay. Their problem was that they ate with them. Now, in doing so, they broke the Jewish law, but more than that, it showed their acceptance of them. It showed that he was in close fellowship with them. Now, they thought they were, they were dogs is what they considered a pagan, a, a Gentile person. And so they, they couldn't understand. You had close fellowship with them. You were in close communion with them. I want you to remember something. Isn't that what they said about Jesus? He ate with tax collectors. He ate with prostitutes. He associated with them. And these folks, the, the, these, these Jewish converts, they are upset. And the problem is that we are better than that. We're for sure better than them. We're not like them. We're not like that. And you make us look bad when you go down there and you sit down and you eat with those folks. And the problem is we're better than that. Verse 4. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, now, I want you to remember this. This was a new thing to Peter as well. Remember, the 10th chapter was dealing with him. This was a surprising thing to Peter as well. This is where he learned it was in the 10th chapter. And God has gone to great lengths for Peter to understand, you know what, these folks are, are not outside of the gospel, but the gospel is for all people. And so he begins to explain to them in the 11th chapter what, what took place for him in the 10th chapter. So he begins to tell them. Verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. Verse 6. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and, observe, and observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. Verse 7. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 8. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Now, verse 8, Peter says, No way am I going to do that. Everything I've ever been trained, everything I've ever been taught, everything I've ever stood for prohibits me from doing that. He says, Lord, by no means. Will I do that? Verse 9. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Now, when we passed through this a couple weeks ago, I thought it was very interesting. These dietary laws, they weren't man-made. They were from God. What they could and could not eat, those weren't made up. Those were God's laws. We read of them in the book of Leviticus. But now God's word says what God has cleansed 
do not consider unholy. Verse 10. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. Verse 11. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Now, remember the account from a couple weeks ago. Cornelius also had a vision. And so God is working here in Peter, but he's also working over here at Caesarea in Cornelius. And God is doing these two things. Well, now Cornelius has sent a delegation to Joppa, and the two things that God was doing are now revealed as one thing. Verse 12. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. Six witnesses. Now, remember when I talked about that a couple weeks ago? They are now with Peter, seven witnesses in total. That was going to be important. Well, now here they are, and there are seven witnesses to what has happened. Verse 13. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. Verse 14. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Now I want to stop right here for just a second. He is telling them the account of what has happened. He is showing them God's working. Now that's really what he's doing here. He is showing them God's working. But I want you to notice here in God's word, I want you to notice here in verse 14, the word saved, saved. He will tell you the words by which you will be saved. Now, this, this struck me this week. The word for saved translates preserved or rescued. So in verse 14, these are the words, the gospel, that will result in your preservation. These are the words, the gospel, that will result in your being rescued. Now, do not miss this. I want you to see this this morning. The revelation of God in this word is this. The need of the Gentiles is the same need of the Jews. And it was not a religion, and it was not a practice, and it was not a set of duties. The need of the Gentiles was the same as the need of the Jews, and their need was salvation. They needed to be rescued. They needed to be delivered. They needed to be preserved. They needed to be held back from death. Listen, they needed a Savior. Now, this is a huge understanding. Just in this one word, here in the 14th verse, this is a huge understanding. The need of mankind, listen, there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of councils trying to figure it out. There's a lot of intellectuals looking into it. But I can tell you right now, the need of mankind, all mankind, is salvation. People need a Savior. People need to be saved. Oh, if we could just get these things right, our society will clean up. No, the need of mankind is salvation. 
People are lost. The Bible says people are perishing. God's wrath, God's judgment is upon them and they need saving. What happens, here's a good question, if they're not saved, if they're not rescued? Well, they're good enough. Well, God's gracious in the end. He got a different plan. There's a backup plan. What happens if they're not saved? They are lost. They perish. They do not have eternal life. But listen, the testimony of Scripture is this. They have eternal death. Now listen, that ought, that ought, to, sit, that ought to sit in our souls. That ought to make us sit up today. It is that huge. I want you to realize this. Every person outside of a faith relationship with Jesus Christ is perishing and will perish and spend eternity separated from God in the reality of hell. Any person outside of a faith relationship, listen, not that they've heard about it, not that they've attended church sometime, not that they've tipped their hat at it, every person without a saving faith in Jesus Christ will perish, they are doomed. Every person outside of Christ is lost and they will perish. You see, we gloss over that. We've gotten used to that. We don't think that's a big deal anymore. We go through and we read the obituary and they died and they died and they died. And we say, well, you know what? They were sure a good neighbor. You know what? They worked at a job and they did a good job there. Listen, that's not the criteria. Any person outside of a saving faith in Jesus Christ is doomed and will perish. And so he says here, they will be saved. Salvation is the need of all people. Verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. He starts to tell them how we were saved. We heard the gospel. We believed the gospel. The Spirit came after we were saved. In the same way, just like we were saved, they were saved. That's what he's testifying to them. Verse 16. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter says in verse 16, remember the word of God. Remember what Jesus said. That's what he says. And remember what Jesus said when he was with us? Remember what he always said? I'm gonna take another side note here. That's okay, we've got a little time. I, I want you to see this, and I want us to see this. See how he squares this, how he squares what is happening with what Jesus said. Now listen, this is important. See how he squares what is happening with what Jesus said. See how he frames this against what Jesus has said. Listen very carefully. We evaluate our experiences. In fact, we evaluate everything against the word of God. Man, that's important. As believers, as Christians, we evaluate our experiences. In fact, we evaluate every single thing against the word of God and not the other way around. Today I watch 
And people will say, well, this happened. In fact, I, I can turn on, I can get home this afternoon, I can turn on the internet, and I can catch a sermon that somebody will preach about an experience that they had. You know what, I had a dream and I had this and God said that and there'll be a whole sermon about the experience that they had. I was here and this happened and let me tell you, this whole thing that, that has happened. People will say, well, this is what I experienced and this is what I felt and oh, it was real to me. This is what I felt when I experienced it and they will evaluate the word of God by their experiences and that's the day we're living in. They're evaluating the word of God and they have become experience driven. No, listen to me. We evaluate everything against the word of God. That is our standard. That is our plumb line. We do not take our experiences and interpret the word of God. We take the word of God and interpret everything. That's a big deal. So Peter says here, you remember what the Lord said? Remember the word of God? How does this measure against that? Verse 17. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? They're contentious with him. They're, they're honestly just mad at him. And he says here in verse 17, he says in this account, you know what, this is God's work. And it matches up with God's word. This is how it was said to have happened. And so this is God's work, and it matches with God's word. And whether I liked it or not, or whether you approve of it or not, who is I to stand in God's way? Friend, let me, let me tell you this. If God so loves the world, and that's what we say, man, we like to, we like to say that, we like to sing this, we like to tell folks that, that's what the Bible says. If God so loves the world, then who are we to decide who in the world will hear of his love? Did you hear that? If God so loves the world, does he actually love the world? That's what he said to us. If he so loves the world, then who are we to decide who in that world will hear of the love of God? If the gospel is for everybody, if it's actually for all people, all nations, all status, all skin colors, then we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to proclaim it to everybody. Listen to me. You can't hear chapter 10 and say amen. You can't amen chapter 10 and not carry it out in chapter 11. If the gospel is for all people, then we have to proclaim it to all people. Man, I don't like those Muslims. Man, I don't like those folks doing those things. I don't like it. Listen, if God so loves the world, then we have to take it to the world and tell them of God's love. Can't amen chapter 10 and not carry it out in chapter 11. Verse 18. When they heard this, I bet they did, they quietened and down. The actual translation says they held their peace. They bite their tongues. But not only that, and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. They quit contending. And more than that, the Bible says they praise God. These Jewish converts, when they understood, when they saw what had happened, 
They began to praise God. The Gentiles have embraced the word of God. The Gentiles are saved like us. And they began to praise God. Let me, let me tell you the point to all of this. The point to our study today, it is this. Today in the church, we need a burning desire for the world to find the repentance that leads to life. In the church, we need a burning desire for the world, all of it, every person in it, to find the repentance that leads to life. That has to burn in us. That, that has to consume us. When we set our schedules, that has to be in our priority set. When we're praying, that has to be at the top of our concern. We need to have a, a consuming desire for the world to find the repentance that leads to life. It can't just be some little thing. It can't just be some, some offering we take up a couple times a year. It can't just be something that we tip our hat to at different occasions. The gospel is for all people. And so therefore, we need a burning desire for the world to find the repentance that leads to life. Do you know that's your purpose? Well, I, 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 I don't know what my purpose is. Listen, that's your purpose. You know that's why we exist as Calvary Baptist Church. I'm going to get very specific. That's why we exist as Calvary Baptist Church, is that a lost and dying world would hear the good news of a Savior that loved them and died for them, that there is forgiveness of sin through Christ. Do you know that's why we exist this week? Do you know that ought to be on the top of our priorities this week? Do you know that ought to be the, the top concern of our prayer this week? We ought to have a burning desire to tell folks the good news of Jesus Christ. Because you know why? Chapter 10 is true. The gospel is for all people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for your truth. Lord, I, I come and I just tell you off the bat, I'm sorry that we get distracted. I'm sorry we become apathetic. I'm sorry that there's some folks that we hate so much we'd rather perish than hear the good news. And that's the honest truth, Lord, you know it. Lord, I, I, I'm sorry that your church would become bogged down in anything but the main thing. And as you've said you love this world, that we would carry the gospel to every person in this world. Help us in that. Train us in that. Empower us for that. Shape us for that. Lord, forgive us where we failed in that. Lord, use us for your glory. Lord, I, I pray that as we leave here today that we would have a renewed set of vision, a new, renewed set of eyes, that we would have a desire to go back to our jobs and our, our classrooms and our dorm rooms and tell somebody there is hope in Jesus Christ, knowing that outside of that truth they will perish. Help us, Lord. Lord, I pray for somebody here that maybe in this room doesn't know you. I pray that in the, in the preaching of the good news of Christ, that today would be their day of salvation. And I pray that you would move in their hearts as well. Lord, we give you this service. We give it to you as an act of worship. We ask now that you move it and that you work in it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.